Some stories were never supposed to be told. Stories that exist in the twilight between science and the supernatural, between history and horror. Stories that speak of terrifying things. Stories that you want to hear. Stories that you need to hear. Stories that will sink their teeth in and never let you go. My name is Mike Brown, and this is Pleasing Terrors. Episode 30, Resurrection. There are those who still remember the nights in the ballroom. Winter nights when the cold emptiness outside stood in stark contrast to the warmth, the light, and the life of a room full of people swaying to the music of an orchestra. Hours spent dancing with friends, with lovers. These are the types of memories that warm our hearts with the passage of time. There are a few that remember that on occasion, amidst friends and lovers and even strangers, there was a stranger who was stranger than most. She was a solitary figure, standing apart from the rest, a slender blonde woman in her late 20s or early 30s. She was very pale, as if every inch of her visible skin was covered in white powder. She was wearing a dress that was in a style noticeably out of date. It was yellow, like a wedding dress left out in the sun too long. She sat alone, occasionally rising to walk out into the floor of the ballroom, where she would move to the music in graceful solitude. Some of those who remember might shudder when they thought of her eyes, how she seemed to be looking right through them as if they were not really there. Her eyes were chilling. It is strange that no one remembers seeing her arrive, and as the night draws to a close, and the music begins to fade, and the lights begin to dim, as the doors open out under the cold night, no one notices her leave. She is simply gone but some will see her again. Somewhere out there, down a dark and lonely road, she is waiting. In 2016, an article appeared in the Halloween edition of the Chicago Tribune. It was titled, Birch's Residents Get a Halloween Scare on Haunted Bus Tour. The article was written by reporter Jenny Schmichowski. It described an outing by the residents of the Birch's Assisted Living Facility in Clarendon Hills to visit haunted locations in the Chicago area. Their guide was an expert on local history and folklore named Tim Wisely. They visited Mount Carmel Cemetery, 
the burial place of Al Capone and stared out the windows eager for a glimpse of a woman in white wandering amongst the tombstones. They were hoping to see the cemetery's most famous ghost, the immortal bride, Julia Bucola Petit, a young woman who died during childbirth in 1921 and was buried in her wedding dress. According to the legend, after her death, she continued to appear in her mother's dreams, saying that she was still alive. Eventually, her mother had her body exhumed and it was said that when the casket was opened, her body had not decomposed. The tour bus continued onto Archer Avenue and to one of the highlights of the tour. They were headed to a location that was well known to the residents of the Birches, many of whom were lifetime Chicago residents, the Willowbrook Ballroom. Located at 8900 Archer Avenue, a dancing facility has existed on this site in one form or another since 1921. Some of those on the tour bus no doubt had fond memories of this place, and might even have recalled hearing stories told about it by their parents. The original structure was destroyed by a fire in 1930, and was replaced with the O. Henry Ballroom the next year. It hosted some of the most popular bands of the time, and the neighborhood that surrounded the ballroom was well known for alcohol, gambling, and prostitution. The ballroom managed to thrive through the Depression as well as World War II, often seeing as many as 10,000 people a week on its dance floor. It was renamed the Willowbrook Ballroom in 1959. From Willowbrook, the tour bus made the seven-minute drive up Archer Avenue to Resurrection Cemetery. It is a large Catholic cemetery whose oldest graves date back to the 1890s. It consists of a large mausoleum surrounded by greenery and several man-made ponds. It is a beautiful place that evokes a sense of peace. It seems like a nice place to be laid to rest, but ironically, what makes the cemetery famous is that it is said to be home to a spirit that refuses to do just that. The Willowbrook Ballroom, Resurrection Cemetery, and the stretch of road that lays between them are home to Chicago's most enduring ghost story, Resurrection Mary. In his book, The Resurrection Mary Files, Chicago's most famous ghost story. Author Adam Selzer has meticulously cataloged many of the sightings that have taken place in these three places. The earliest known encounter seems to have occurred sometime in the late 1920s or early 1930s. A driver saw a woman standing by the side of a road next to a graveyard. It's thought to have been Resurrection Cemetery. The driver pulled over to offer her a ride. She got in the car, and when he asked her where she was headed, she gave him an address in Chicago. With her in the passenger seat, the driver drove back onto the road and began heading towards the address. But at some point during the drive, he looked over and realized that she had vanished. He went to the address the next day 
and learned that the woman who used to live there had died several years before. On May 26, 1935, a highway patrolman, Peter Brown, responded to a single vehicle accident on Archer Avenue next to the cemetery. The 24-year-old driver had swerved his car sharply as he passed the cemetery, struck a post, and overturned his vehicle. When questioned by the patrolman, he said that he had been startled when he saw what he described as a ghostly woman on the side of the road. When trying to explain what it was about her that had frightened him, he could only respond that it was something in the way she looked at him. He said there was something about her eyes. In 1939, a man named Jerry Paulus went to another area dance hall called the Liberty Grove Ballroom. There he met a blonde woman wearing what he described as a fancy white dress. She said that her name was Mary, and the couple danced late into the night. After the ballroom closed, he agreed to take her home. As they drove along Archer Avenue, she asked him to stop when they approached the cemetery. She turned to him and said, I must leave and you can't follow. She stepped out of the car and walked up to the closed locked gates of the cemetery and vanished. Paulus, shocked at what he had just witnessed, could do nothing but go home and spend a long night struggling to comprehend what had happened. The next day, he decided to go to the address she had given for her home. Perhaps he hoped that she would be there and might be able to explain what had happened the night before. The door was answered by an older woman who welcomed him into her house. They sat in the living room while he explained, as best he could, what had happened the previous night. She said that the woman he had met sounded as if she resembled her daughter, who had died several years earlier. She directed his attention to a framed photograph that sat on top of a piano. It was a picture of the woman he had met the night before. On January 31, 1979, an article appeared in the Suburban Trip, a publication of the Chicago Tribune. The article was written by columnist Bill Geist and related an interview with a man he called Ralph, a taxicab driver who Geist characterized as a typical 52-year-old working guy, a veteran, father, little league baseball coach, churchgoer, the whole shot. To emphasize his point, he added that Ralph was not an idiot or a maniac. Ralph said that on the particularly cold night of January 11, 1979, he was driving along Archer Avenue when two blocks north of the ballroom he saw a woman standing on the side of the road. He said that she was blonde and attractive. He thought that she was in her early 20s. However, what caught his attention on such a cold night was that she was not wearing a coat. He pulled over and asked where she was going. She didn't answer and seemed confused. He thought she might be drunk. He asked her if she was okay and offered her a ride. She got into the taxi and nodded as if she wanted him to drive further down the avenue. And so he did. She sat quietly, 
only once making a comment about how snow had come early that year. After they had driven a few miles, she suddenly sat up straight and yelled, Here! Here! Ralph stopped the car and looked around, but he didn't see any houses. She pointed out the window and said, There! And he could see that she was pointing at a small shack just off the road. When he turned back to look at her, she was gone. He said, and that car door never opened. May the good Lord strike me dead. It never opened. The story that connects each of these encounters, and the many more like them that have occurred over the years, is that of a young woman named Mary, who in the late 1920s or early 1930s spent an evening at the Willowbrook Ballroom with her boyfriend. At some point during the evening, they had an argument and Mary left the ballroom without him, determined to walk home on her own. As she walked along Archer Avenue, she was struck by a car. The driver fled the scene as Mary lay dying by the side of the road. Her body was found soon after, and she was buried in Resurrection Cemetery, wearing a white dancing dress. There have been many attempts by researchers over the years to identify Mary, and connect the story with a real person. There have been many different candidates, and on several occasions, those investigating the mystery of Resurrection Mary have felt that they were close to finding an answer. For years, one of the most promising candidates was a 22-year-old woman named Mary Bragovi. In April of 1934, Mary was out driving around with another young woman named Virginia Rosansky and two young men, John Riker and John Thole, whom she had met at the Goldblatt Brothers department store where she worked. Riker, who was driving, lost control and crashed into the L-Track support beam, causing Mary to be thrown through the windshield. An ambulance was called, but tragically, Mary died before reaching the hospital. She was buried in Resurrection Cemetery. While at first her story seems like a promising match to the legend, Adam Selzer notes that there are two details that render Mary Bragovi a less likely candidate than she might at first appear. Resurrection Mary has in most instances been described as having blonde hair. The photo published in the Chicago Tribune along with her death notice reveals that Mary Bragovi was a brunette. Selzer also points out that Mary's death in April of 1934 occurred several years after some of the earliest sightings of Resurrection Mary had already taken place. A young girl who died in a car accident in 1927 by the name of Anna Marija Norcus was also suggested. But as Selzer points out, she was only 12 at the time of her death and traveling with her family. Details that run counter to many aspects of the story. Troy Taylor, author of The Girl by the Side of the Road, as well as numerous other books on the paranormal, interviewed a woman in the early 2000s who identified Resurrection Mary as a woman named Mary Mikowski. She said that in the 1920s, Mary had been her babysitter, and that on Halloween night in 1930, 
she was killed in an automobile accident on Archer Avenue. She said that she had blonde hair and was wearing a white dress on the night of her death. A later investigation revealed that Mary Makowski was a real person, but that she died in 1956. Every attempt to identify Mary, to anchor her story to a real person, has met with failure. If she actually existed, her identity remains a mystery, and it is one that is complicated by another fact as well. She is not alone. During foggy nights on Wapsununok Mountain in Altoona, Pennsylvania, a young woman dressed in white is seen standing by the side of the Wapsie Road. According to the legend, drivers who have stopped and picked her up say that she sits quietly until the car reaches a dangerous turn known as the Devil's Elbow. As the car makes the turn, the woman vanishes. She is thought to have been a bride who died along with her husband when they lost their way in the fog and drove off the side of the mountain while passing through the dangerous turn on their honeymoon. Fremont, California is known for the White Lady, sometimes referred to as the White Witch, who haunts Niles Canyon, famous for having been the filming location for Charlie Chaplin's 1915 movie, The Tramp. This haunting is tied to the night of February 26. Travelers driving through the canyon on that night have reported seeing a teenage girl standing by the side of the road. She is wearing what looks like a white prom dress. They stop and offer her a ride, which she accepts, giving them her address. However, as they pass over a local bridge, she disappears. Some claim to have gone to the address only to find that a girl matching her description had lived there years earlier, but had died. The anniversary of her death being February 26. In the 1960s, newspapers in Dallas, Texas, reported numerous incidents where motorists traveling on East Lowther Drive at White Rock Lake Park pulled over after seeing a young woman in a 1930s party dress standing on the side of the road. They said that she was soaking wet. She asked to be taken home and gave an address, but at some point during the drive vanished, leaving behind a wet seat. It was speculated that she drowned after a boating accident in the 1930s. These stories, like that of Resurrection Mary and many others that have been reported not only across the United States, but around the world, are classified by folklorists as a type of urban legend known as the vanishing hitchhiker. They share the same basic characteristics. A person is traveling along a road, usually a man, who sees someone standing by the side of the road, usually a woman. He offers her a ride, and at some point during the journey, she disappears under fantastic or mysterious circumstances. Folklorist Richard Beardsley and Rosalie Hankey began to study the phenomenon in 1942 when they collected 79 accounts of vanishing hitchhiker incidents from around the United States. They found that there were several variations. The first involved stories where hitchhikers were given an address 
which when visited by the driver revealed that his passenger had died sometime earlier and that he had encountered their ghost. Sometimes it was a young woman who was first encountered at a social gathering like a dance and later vanished while being taken home. In other cases, the hitchhiker predicted some impending disaster before disappearing. In 1981, folklorist Jan Harold Brunvand, who popularized the term urban legend, continued the study of the subject in his book, The Vanishing Hitchhiker. He found that these stories traced at least as far back as the 1870s and could be found in many variations all over the world. Hearing one of these encounters from the person who actually experienced it is exceedingly rare. These stories often come from a teller who is many times removed from an unknown source, which has led many to discount them entirely. However, in his book, The Evidence for Phantom Hitchhikers, author Michael Goss has suggested another possibility, hallucination. The idea of what has come to be known as highway hypnosis was first developed in 1921. It is a trance-like state that a driver falls into while staring at the road ahead or distracted by other thoughts. In this state, the driver operates the vehicle safely, speeding up, slowing down, changing lanes without consciously thinking about doing so. It is an example of what is known as automaticity, where the conscious and subconscious minds are able to concentrate on different things. Whether or not while in this state, we might be susceptible to hallucinations that conform to scenarios wired into our brain by local folklore is a subject that, as far as I know, has yet to be explored. If such a connection could ever be established, it would suggest a frightening possibility that instead of ghosts creating stories, under certain conditions, stories may create ghosts that seem all too real. The mystery of Resurrection Mary endures. She may be the ghost of a young woman, tragically cut down in the prime of her life, whose identity has simply eluded us. Or she may be a local legend, lurking in the dark recesses of our minds, waiting for us to let our guard down at just the right moment, so that she might appear in a form that, while illusory, may seem all too real. If you are the one traveling up Archer Avenue in the dark of night, and you see a young blonde woman in an elegant, if antiquated, dress standing by the side of the road, it may be that the difference between the two doesn't really matter. The residents of the Birch's Assisted Living Facility, who traveled along Archer Avenue while enjoying a haunted bus tour, a week before Halloween in 2016, didn't see Resurrection Mary that evening. They didn't know it at the time, but they would be among the last to see the Willowbrook Ballroom. On Friday, October 28, 2016, the building caught fire while work was being done on its roof. Due to water pressure issues, the fire department had to wait on tanker trucks, which caused a delay in getting the fire under control the Willowbrook Ballroom, was destroyed. But like Mary, it lives on in memory.
there are those who still remember the nights in the ballroom. Winter nights when the cold emptiness outside stood in stark contrast to the warmth and light and life of a room full of people swaying to the music of the orchestra. Hours spent dancing with friends, with lovers, memories that would warm their hearts with the passage of time. But for a few, there is another memory as well. There are those that remember that on occasion, amidst friends and lovers and even strangers, there was a stranger who was stranger than most. She was a solitary figure, standing apart from the rest, a slender blonde woman in her late 20s or early 30s. She was very pale, as if every inch of her visible skin was covered in white powder. She was wearing a dress that was in a style noticeably out of date. It was yellow, like a wedding dress left out in the sun too long. She sat alone, occasionally rising to walk out into the dance floor, where she would move to the music in graceful solitude. Some of those who remember might shudder when they thought of her eyes, how she seemed to be looking right through them, as if they were not really there. It is strange that no one remembered seeing her arrive, and as the night drew to a close, and the music began to fade, and the lights grew dim, as the doors opened onto the cold night, no one noticed her leave. She was simply gone. And so they ventured out into the night, little realizing that they might yet see her again. Whether fact or fiction, somewhere out there on a dark and lonely road, she is waiting. This episode of the Pleasing Terrors podcast was written and performed by Mike Brown. It was edited, mixed, and produced by Michael Dalbello at Charleston Sound Studio. For more information on Pleasing Terrors, please visit us on Facebook and Twitter at pleasingterrors.com. Thank you for listening.